What's up, guys? Uh, I'm Dante. The pronouns are he, him. And I'm going to be reading you guys uh, from Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. So strap in. Here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of God for the people of God. Imagine that when you walk down the stairs, you pass through a beaded curtain, and you see a table with an orb that is glowing. Imagine the beads are rattling as you see another curtain appear, and behind it is Lyndon, the wizard. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm going to do a real quick sound check. I have a multimedia experience for you all today, folks. <laughs> so some of you may know me as Caleb. I've been coming out of the wizard closet kind of over the last couple months. And <laughs> that means that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the same thing that you're thinking right now, which is what the hell does it mean to come out of the wizard closet? <laughs> it didn't really come to me as an idea as much as like a, a feeling a sort of energy that I have then since been exploring in my life, investigating it, observing it. And I think it has like a archetypal kind of thing. So, you know, there are wizards that are wizard wizards, Dumbledore, you know, Merlin. But when I think about myself as a wizard, when I think about like what it means to be a wizard, it's more of like an energy that certain people have, kind of feeling of magic. And so, I think there are wizards all around us. And they can be characters in our books, on our TVs. They can be real people in our lives. 
And I thought about some examples for y'all because this is kind of like a, a weird niche thing that I'm like chewing on. So here's a few. Robin Williams, maybe. Anybody? Magic? Mm -hmm. Nina Simone. Definitely magic. Absolutely a wizard. Stevie Wonder, Willy Wonka. Yeah, Doctor, Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. The Fairy Godmother. My Grandpa. Probably, let's be honest, probably John Michael. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> Definitely a wizard, with the audio at least. <laughs> so are y'all catching on? Okay, so who has somebody, character, or real life person who they are like, okay, I, I think this might be a wizard. Definitely magic. Yeah? Let's hear it. Oh, Kai. Absolutely. Anybody else? Terry Pratchett. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure they're magical. Who is that? Uh, an author. An author. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Who? Nick Norris is a wizard. Nick Norris. Hell yeah. All right. So I've been thinking about what makes all of these people, what connects these people? What is this vibe? Right? And I've been thinking. And here are some thoughts that I have so far. So I think a wizard kind of has this cosmic smirk, like a twinkle in their eye, you know? And that grants them the ability to be simultaneously very serious and also playful. They can respond to the twists of life with like a perceptive kind of wit. And I think a wizard is kind of like a, a narrator who has written themselves into the drama of life. They also seem to be a, a vessel for history an inexhaustible source of skill, of knowledge. They have this aura of having had like countless past lives that you definitely don't know about but are like crazy, right? <laughs> and I think wizards are perceptive. They trust their intuitions. They're the person in your life doesn't let you get away with saying, you know, oh, I'm just doing fine. They'll be like, what was that? Doing fine? Mm -mm. Give me some more. Right? They're the person who walks in the room and can check the vibe in a second, know exactly what's going on, right? And I think what makes a wizard is this kind of a warm stoicism, a charismatic kindness that comes from being solidly rooted in the earth, of having a body that lives at home in the world, of having a soul that relates to the, the grander currents of time and space like an older friend. And here is where, okay, and from that center, they radiate a sense of security to those around us. In hard times, they have a knowing kindness that can cut through the greatest weariness. And they send that signal to everyone that everything is going to be okay. And here's what I, th I think we're narrowing in on it. This is like my wizard thesis statement for the time being. Talk to me next year, who knows. <clears throat> so what it really means to be a wizard is to host people in the world, in their bodies, because it is the wizard's home, in order to remind us that it is our home. It is to open up a space for us to remember our own power and our own magic. And more than any person or figure in my life, Jesus has been a wizard in my life. 
So that's where I want to jump into the text. So Jesus is back from his travels. He's staying at his mom's place. And then the word gets out, and a crowd of sleepy-eyed villagers drag themselves out of bed in order to get a spot within earshot of the prophet. And I imagine them descending upon his home, clamoring into his bedroom where they find him still in bed without a morning coffee. And Jesus is like doing the best he can to rally and show them a good time, (laughs) put on a good show. And then we hear this sound, a sound above the shuffling of feet, above Jesus's voice, above the whimpers of babies, above neighbors kind of greeting each other softly. The sound of a trapdoor being sprung from its hinges. And then light pours into the room and down on a mat comes this man being lowered by four strangers. So on an early morning a few weeks ago, I also found myself in a crowd of sleepy-eyed neighbors. I was commuting to work on the red line and we were packed into the tin can car with our oversized winter coats like sardines and rather lifeless in sort of the drowsy days of morning. And then so too was the hush of the car broken, in this case, <laughs> by, the, uh, by the sound of a man. He was like maybe six feet away from me, three, four, five heads in between us. And he started speaking loudly, both to himself and to us, but honestly, mostly to God. And in contrast, in the Bible story, this man being lowered down doesn't say anything, at least nothing that we know of, right? There's no voice in the text. But I imagine that the people lowering him had something to say. I can picture them saying, Jesus, Jesus, heal this poor man. And it's actually not clear in the text either that the man had consented to having been brought there at all, right? And I believe that Jesus almost instantly notices the man's reluctance, his embarrassment, and where the crowd saw this opportunity for a miracle, an opportunity to be entertained. Jesus instead sees a dude, a dude who has been brazenly thrust into the center of attention and is probably mortified. And I think most of us, even without trying, can intuit a great deal about someone else's emotional experience, even in a split second of eye contact. Information that has layers of complexity we can rarely articulate. Empathy that is something felt before it is known. But often, like the people who brought the disabled person to Jesus, rather than paying attention to these intuitions, we actually spend a lot of energy unconsciously trying to ignore them. Jesus didn't have to be an empath to read the situation. We have like a paragraph of text from 2,000 years ago, and we're putting together the puzzle pieces, right? It's not complicated. So this isn't really about Jesus and his wizard powers. It's about people. It's about us and our impulse to hide from other people's feelings. To allow ourselves to really acknowledge someone else's pain means that we have to feel their pain, and that hurts. But I think even more than that, it means that we have to acknowledge the pain 
And that creates a sense of obligation to do something about it, right? And that's a, a level of responsibility most of the time we don't fill up for. So the people who brought the man, not only did they ignore his embarrassment, they actually projected onto him the assumption that he wanted to be there. Obviously, a disabled person wants to be healed by being thrust into the center of a crowd of people. So where there was a, a human being in front of them, all they saw really was an opportunity for them to feel better about themselves, for them to look good in front of Jesus and their neighbors. That's what they saw. Jesus, on the other hand, he notices not just the man's embarrassment, but I believe something deeper, something stickier than his reaction to the present moment. This was a man who was silent in the face of abuse, right? A man who has nowhere to go but to retreat into himself. A man who is resigned to his fate. And because of what Jesus says to him, I think there is a part of this man who was being consumed by some kind of shame. And maybe that shame was related to his relationship to his disability. Totally possible. But honestly, it could have been about anything. We don't know, and Jesus doesn't know. But also, that doesn't stop Jesus from saying to this man what he needs to hear. He says to the man, child, your sins are forgiven. To see someone suffering or to look away to see someone suffering or to look away. This was the crossroads that I also found myself on, on the red line that morning. Because breaking out over the silence of the packed train car, the stranger began to speak. And he spoke steadily and soberly. And he was saying, you took away my wife. You took away my child. And then he started to let out a slew of slurs and cuss words as imaginative and as long as possible. And kind of cut in between them, he was saying, I curse you, God. I curse you. And he was just kind of going on and on like this. So you don't need to be perceptive to understand this man's story and his suffering. He was spelling it out for everyone. And as he continued, I thought about how he must have found no other place that could hold his suffering, his anger. Because otherwise, why would he be sharing it with us? And then I felt something from inside of me. I heard a voice speak out to the man from closed lips. And this is what it said. You, you who lost your child, you who lost your wife, your anger is justified. You have a right to be angry. But it does not serve you. So when you are ready to be free, and it doesn't have to be today, and it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but when you are ready, remember this. You must allow yourself to grieve. You must allow yourself to feel the sadness behind your anger. And so those words repeated themselves, getting louder in my head until I felt like someone was shouting them. And I felt the words crescendo, a crescendoing impulse, an alien desire to let them out and project them over the huddled heads of the commuters to the man at the other end of the train. You, you who lost your wife, 
You who lost your child, your anger is justified. You have a right to be angry, but it does not serve you. And when you are ready to be free, it doesn't have to be today, and it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but when you are ready, remember this. You must allow yourself to grieve. You must allow yourself to feel the sadness beneath your anger. And it felt like I was being torn into two. First, a feeling of love and power, those words on my lips that trembled like a spell, something ancient and true. And my index finger quivered by my side, ready to snap into a point like a wand. And inside of me was something magic, begging to leap out to this man. It felt like the tension of drawing an arrow, ready to release right into the heart of that which everyone else was trying to ignore. But like a, a gag in my mouth, a pit in my stomach, I also felt this kind of fear. The fear of being wrong, of making a fool of myself, of making things worse, of putting myself in danger, of putting other people in danger. And deeper still, I felt this fear of my sanity, were these words really magic? Could I really trust myself? And so like racing trains, the spell and the doubt wove around each other, battled each other, and hold, held me hostage as the man wailed on and on. And just as I felt that the spell was getting the upper hand, it was time that broke the deadlock. Because just as I reached out my hand to open my mouth, the train slowed, the doors opened, and just like that, the man was gone. And I was left there, stupefied, adrenaline pounding in my ears, and just feeling so defeated. I felt like I had missed some kind of calling, some kind of magical initiation. How could something so easy, as easy as opening my mouth, feel so impossible? And this is, of course, exactly Jesus' response to the ruffled scribes. Like a true wizard, Jesus need not even wait for them to speak because he says, quote, <clears throat> the Bible says, quote, he perceived in his spirit exactly their reaction to his unexpected blessing. And he challenges them, saying, which is easier? Which is easier to say to this person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? So let me ask you, which is easier? To share in the suffering of your brother and break the unspoken script of society, or to literally break the laws of physics and heal a man with nothing but a word? So that morning on the red line, I couldn't have told you both of them felt like they would have been a miracle. Both of them felt like it would have been impossible. But at the same time, I know that I can't say those words. And so what I realized is that it doesn't take a miracle to be magic, but it does take some effing guts, right? And I don't mean to claim that we should all start shouting the first thing that comes to our minds in public spaces. Our intuitions also tell us when to be silent. 
when to keep our distance, when to be patient, when to let people go through their process. And sometimes it is just as hard to stop ourselves from trying to force something as it is to speak up when something needs to be said. So in the end, Jesus does heal the disabled man, and that's complicated. I, I kind of have weird vibes about that. But he makes it very clear to everyone that it doesn't have to do with the man. It has to do with us. This is his point. I healed him so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I healed him so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the invitation of the text. Jesus names himself the Son of Man to remind us that the Messiah is one of us. He claims his authority to remind us of ours. He invites us to confront our people, our power to love people into freedom, to trust our magic, to claim it and to use it, to take a leap of faith into ourselves. So here I am, Lyndon the Wizard, asking you right now, are we not magic? Can we not perform miracles? Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will, do, will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. Here I am, Lyndon the Wizard, asking you right now, are we not magic? Can we not perform miracles? Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. Do you believe the man we had that do you believe them so ask yourself are we not made from the stuff of cosmos as old as time itself did you not fight through the chaos of the birth to the kaleidoscope child grapple your way through the fever dream of adolescence are you not a shapeshifter that has created yourself and then recreated yourself and recreated yourself again with past lives each one knowledge gained lessons learned have you not scoured the depths of your soul to slay the demons that lay there? Have you not tasted the sweetest joy and the most bitter betrayal? Have you not held the people you love and been held by them? Have you not been knocked down? Have you not been broken? And have you not been told again and again that you are not enough and yet here we are? Did you not get back up? Did you not open your heart to the world again? Aren't you here to say, today saying, this is my name, this is my body, this is my joy, these are my gifts, this is my magic? Here I am, Lyndon the Wizard, saying to you, you have permission, now rise up into your own power. I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever spell you cast on earth will be cast in heaven. Whatever you conjure on earth will echo through the heavens. Because truly, I tell you, the one who can trust the magic in their hearts will do the works that I do, and will do even greater works than these.
All right, folks, we're going to do some excited? So instead of communion today, because Juan Pablo's out of town, we're going to do like a Dumbledore's Army bit kind of thing. It's going to be really fun. <laughs> so I'm going to lead us through a guided meditation where we're going to make an energy orb, and then we're going to like create this like giant energy orb in the center of the room. You guys ready? <clears throat> so if I invite you, um, if you're able, to move your body in a way that makes you feel powerful. So, and also if you can't move your body so that you can see the, the orb, I'm gonna go behind it. Is, that, is the mic gonna get messed up if I go behind? No? Raise your hand if you can't see the orb. So moving your, your body into a position that makes you feel powerful, I'm going to give you some suggestions. Suggestions. This is my yogi brain speaking. If you do yoga, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. So if you want, you can shrug your shoulders up to your ears and then pull them back, pull your shoulder blades back down, kind of opening your chest. If you want, you can stand up, root your feet, widen your stance just a little bit, and feel your feet press into the ground. You can activate that core just a little bit, that feeling of power. <clears throat> and now I invite you to close your eyes. And if able, raise your hands up to your chest, cupping them like you're holding a basketball. Now imagine a tiny ball of light hovering just at the center of your hands. And whether or not your eyes remain closed or you decide to open them, really try to see the ball in front of you. This is your magic, your spark, unique to you. And now we are going to charge our magic with our breath. Take a deep breath in, and when you breathe out, imagine energy projecting out of your dominant hand and swirling into the shiny orb, making it grow just a little bit bigger. Now take your non-dominant hand and direct it towards wherever you feel energy in this moment. It could be the sky. It could be the earth. It could be your heart, your chest. And as you breathe, begin to breathe Okay, wait now. And when you breathe in, feel yourself pulling that energy into your body from your non-dominant hand, whatever energy source you're pointing it towards. Breathe in, we're pulling in the energy, 
and we're breathing out, we're pouring it through our dominant hand into the orb. So our bodies are a channel of energy, a conductor. And when you breathe, we're going to do some breaths now. And as you breathe, begin to bring your orb to life. What color is it? Is it deep swirling? Is it pulsating, glowing? And what does the energy coming out of your hand look like? Static energy? Static electricity? A mountain spraying of gurgling water? Maybe blue fire. Or green light. And when your orb is ready, it feels fully charged. Use your hand, your dom hand, to direct it like a levitation spell. Send slowly and steadily towards a giant glowing orb at the center of this room. Watch it as it floats through the air. And as you watch your orb journey into the center, picture the orbs of your friends around you also traveling, being absorbed into the rainbow orb at the center. Picture what they look like, each one created uniquely just by each of you.
Now I'm going to take the orb and put it into this little guy here. You can laugh, it is freaking funny. Okay, now we're gonna do communion style, wizard communion. If you wanna come up, <laughs> I invite you to come, place your hand on the orb, breathe out, and then feel the collective energy that we just created in this room pour into you, flowing out through the orb, up your arm, and into your body. Does anybody want to try it? Hell yeah. Anybody else? Yeah? Put your hand on the orb. Now breathe in. Feel the power. Did you feel it? Yeah, yeah, she did. <laughs> You're all the freaking best for letting me do this. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> breathe out. Breathe in. So if anybody wants me to bring some magic to them, I have a wand, so I can't do it. Raise your hand.
Y'all, this is my wife, Jenny, and this is, in fact, her orb. This is my last track for you guys. If anybody wants the playlist, let me know. Last opportunity to touch my orb. What? <laughs> well, I can't leave all this extra energy sitting here, so it's gotta go somewhere. Zone. Thank you all. This was epic. <laughs>